The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. All right, what did we find from Derek's apartment? Mostly just old movie posters and a bunch of Donald Trump books about finance. Maybe Derek dreams about being an entrepreneur, or maybe he's just a fan of Celebrity Apprentice. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, July 18th, 2019. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. It's hard to believe that there was once a time when U.S. President Donald Trump was only known for his financial and entertainment ventures. What's even harder to believe is that, as of this broadcast, I still think that Donald Trump is the greatest president the United States has had during my lifetime, which spans seven decades. Trump still towers above the rest, and by the rest, I mean the Democrats, the other presidential candidates, and a media that no longer deserves the status of being called the fourth estate. I'll explain why right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, and follow us on SoundCloud, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archive broadcasts, and of course, where we encourage you to offer your financial support, and by so doing, become part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom and capitalism. We rarely hear the people use the term Trump derangement syndrome anymore, since that syndrome has now become the new normal. (laughs) But there's another dimension to the Trump derangement syndrome that I've never really touched on before, and that one relates to many of Trump's actual supporters. I've observed that, in general, supporters of Trump often do so half-heartedly, always qualifying their support with some version of, well, I don't always agree with Trump, but, or Trump certainly has his faults, but, and then they go on to timidly dare to support Trump publicly. This is no place for nuance. The time for nuance has long since passed. There's an election coming up next year, and of course, everybody's positioning themselves in preparation for that election. You have to play the political cards that are dealt you, and you've only got two choices, generally, given the rules of the American political game of politics. So let me say unequivocally that I'm a big fan of Donald Trump. I like the broad scope of his policies, I like his tactics, and even his mannerisms and tweets, none of which I believe are arbitrary or ill-considered. Trump is thoroughly focused on his mission and goal, to put America first, and it is to this very objective that all of the objections to Trump are based. Trump's enemies are the enemies of America and freedom itself, and it is Trump himself who brought that polarization to the attention of Americans and to the world at large. Trump is not and never was the cause of America's polarization. He's been the messenger who forced that already existing polarization onto the political stage. It's a winning strategy and a necessary one. I've talked about polarization in the past. Now, as this past 4th of July was approaching, various members of the media were already decrying the speech Trump had yet to deliver. And as usual, 
predicted that the worst of all possible outcomes would follow Trump's address. I wasn't able to watch the ceremonies live, so I waited a day or two to see the fallout, to see if the reality actually matched what most of the media had predicted. Strangely enough, the first obstacle I encountered in attempting to view the event unhindered by a leftist bias was my Google search itself. And, and you know, I no longer trust Google to be an objective search engine, particularly given the glaring bias of the results I've been getting lately. My objective was to watch the complete unedited delivery of Trump's address, and so I put into my Google search, quote, Donald Trump, 4th of July address, end quote, expecting then that his address would be the first link that would appear on my requested search. But no, I couldn't find it anywhere on the first, second, or even third page. In fact, I began to worry that I might not even be able to find his complete address given what did show up on my search. Here's a sampling, and these are just some of the headlines, okay? This is from CNN. Trump blames faulty teleprompter for snafu about airports during the Revolutionary War. Or this one from the LA Times. Trump's 4th of July speech inserts politics and protests into national celebration. This one from the Atlantic. Trump commandeers the 4th of July. Wandering the National Mall on Independence Day brought you face-to-face -face with a divided country. This one here, Trump News, President's embarrassing mess parade speech widely mocked amid arrests over July 4th fights between MAGA fans and left-wing activists. <laughs> wow. That was some coverage from UK News World Independent. And then this one, Trump's sad, strange, somewhat Soviet 4th of July spectacle from the New York Daily News. Just Google search pages of this crap. Stuff that should only have appeared on a Google search if I was looking for editorial content about his speech. I wanted to see the speech. And I'll touch on a few of these items a bit later on, along with a few others I discovered along the way. But amazingly, I did find two links that did not reflect the content of the type I just reviewed. Although I guess in this first one, you, it, it's debatable. And this was from the New York Intelligencer. What You Missed at Trump's July 4th Spectacular by Adam K. Raymond. Quote, the July 4th celebration on the National Mall saw Trump address an adoring crowd behind rain-soaked bulletproof glass. There were tanks parked on the National Mall and military jets overhead. And hopefully you were too busy taking the day off from politics to pay attention to it. If so, here's what you missed. The speech was distinctly untrumpian. Trump's 45-minute speech drew the kind of praise he gets any time he manages not to spit up on himself while standing at the podium. End quote. I couldn't go any further. I said, okay, forget it, etc., etc., etc. You get the general idea. Trump's official speeches, by the way, have all been magnificent and brilliantly delivered. The ones I saw at the UN, the ones he delivered around the world, and the ones he's delivered at home. But the second link I found actually reflected what I saw and witnessed with my own eyes. This was from, of course, Fox News, the, the one network that's always decried by the left. Trump defies ominous predictions with nonpartisan July 4th salute to American spirit by Lucas Mike Leonis. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Quote, President Trump struck a patriotic, nonpartisan, and unifying note during his address at 4th of July celebrations in Washington, D.C., as the massive crowd of attendees avoided clashes despite provocations from protesters. 
The event defied the critics who said the celebration on Thursday would be a partisan political spectacle that would not even attract a significant crowd. CBS, ABC, NBC, and MSNBC snubbed the celebration and didn't air it live, save for their online streaming platforms. The president used the speech to call on Americans to, quote, stay true to our cause, end quote, and praised American heroes, including the armed forces and civil rights leaders. The visuals, flyovers by every branch of the military, a display of tanks and other military hardware, the president rallying Americans before the Lincoln Memorial, drew complaints from critics that Trump was politicizing the holiday while flexing U.S. military might to an uncomfortable degree. The tenor of the address, however, still marked the contrast with the predictions made by 2020 Democratic presidential candidates who said that Trump would focus on his presidency rather than American ideals. Instead, he strictly stuck to history as he cited numerous tales of valor to weave a story of the American spirit, end quote. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was an accurate account of what I saw with my own eyes. My own personal observations of Trump, events and speeches that I have seen in their entirety were reported by the rest of the media as if they were at some other event not even related to the 4th of July celebrations. Including this following editorial, which I got not from an online search, but from the pages of our own London Free Press, the daily newspaper serving my hometown of London, Ontario. And the headline read, National Holiday, Narcissism, and Re-Election Bid Should Not Mix. Trump exploits July 4th, a people's holiday, to serve himself, Thomas N. Ginsburg writes. And Ginsburg is a retired professor at Western University specializing in the political history of the United States. I wonder if Salim Mansour is familiar with him. I'll find out sometime in the future. But get this, and I quote, Donald Trump has chosen to use executive power to transform Independence Day, July 4th, into an instrument serving his narcissism and campaign for re-election. Presidents of the United States traditionally have played a subdued role in the country's celebration of its distinction. It has been seen as the people's holiday, to celebrate as they see fit in a myriad of festivities across the land. While there has long been a celebration on the Great Public Mall in Washington, D.C., with the usual fanfare and fireworks, it has not been the focal point of the commemoration, let alone an occasion for presidential self-aggrandizement. Now, Trump has seen fit to exploit the day to suit his own purposes. If Samuel Johnson's famous aphorism that, quote, patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel, end quote, may sometimes overstate the case, it is certainly fitting here. For Trump to have tanks stationed in the vicinity of the Lincoln Memorial, that secular temple dedicated to the American values embodied by that leader, is an atrocity, end quote. Well, quite frankly, this editorial was an atrocity. And who's being the real narcissist here? Not once during his entire presentation did Trump bring up his being president or any of his policies. Not once. I know because I watched the whole thing. You can watch it too. Presidential self-aggrandizement? What the hell is this supposed political history professor talking about? Ironically, Trump's entire talk was about one single thing. The history of the United States. And by insulting Trump's presentation, retired Western professor Thomas Ginsburg insulted every one of the heroes and historical figures that were cited by Trump. 
He insulted the entire U.S. military, the great inventors and discoverers who found in the United States a place where they could work freely and unhindered by governments and politicians. And he insulted a country where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are among that country's operative principles. Donald Trump did not invent or create any of these great accomplishments, nor did he claim that he did. But implicit in Trump's presentation was the fact that Trump respects and honors those values in individuals. And that's why they hate Donald Trump, because they hate America. And while it's true that the left and the Democrats would have demonized any of their political opponents, Donald Trump presents a unique challenge for them, with unintended results that those on the left are still trying to dismiss and explain in a way that doesn't make it obvious that their own demonizing of Trump is the prime cause of their defeat. They've never faced a president who wasn't a quote-unquote conservative Republican, meaning a timid, afraid to challenge the statist quo candidate. But thankfully, at least somebody had something more objective to say online. Two days after the 4th of July celebrations in the United States, Carl Benjamin, a.k.a. Sargon of Akkad, got together for a YouTube discussion with Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire to discuss their observations and reactions to Donald Trump and the celebrations themselves. Here's a bit of what they had to say. Trump, the optics, despite the, the media... Um, storm that's been surrounding him the whole time. His polling's actually really quite good. Yeah, right. For a man who's had 90% negative press coverage for the last three or four years, just non-stop. And, I mean, literally, and when we say negative, that's downplaying just right. how bad... I mean, this is this is Satan himself. Who has come. And when we say 90, we're downplaying. I mean, s certain uh, figures put it at 92 yeah. or 93% negative press coverage on the major networks, which yeah. is what most people are watching. Yeah, and, but he's he's so clever with the optics of what he's managing to get out there, like the the walk into North Korea. Yep, that was historic. It was brilliant, and even the Fourth of July parade. Yes. So he does yes. he does this uh, <laughs> military parade, you know, flags and tanks, and they and the, uh, somehow he gets his opponents to to protest the flag. You know, somebody, <laughs> he says we've never had tanks in America. We had it at FDR's inauguration. Yeah. We had it at JFK's. We had it at Eisenhower's. And so Trump does this, but there was a study that came out in uh, 2011, I think it was, out of Harvard, which showed that if you go to a 4th of July parade as a kid, you are statistically more likely to vote Republican as an adult. And, and then there was another study that came out a couple years later, I forget who put it out, which showed that even a single exposure to the American flag makes you more likely <laughs> to be a conservative. I mean, it, you know, it's like you're being exposed to a disease or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think I think Trump, on a gut level, understands this. Oh, yeah. And that's what Make America Great Again is all about. It's what the Fourth of July parade is all about. It's yeah. what standing up for your flag is. It's just, if you show people the symbol of the country, they will feel a perhaps long-dormant affection and loyalty for the country. I think there's also the sort of, um, the sort of inclusive uh, spirit of it, you know, it's like because there, there is something like you know we're Americans. It, it's a it's very much an inclusive sort of philosophy, and when it's being presented with great confidence, and you're you know you're at a giant festival and everyone else is there, and you know you've got fireworks going off and everything's fun and everyone's having a good time, you are naturally going to feel like this is a you know this is a good thing, and right? Because honestly, it is. But yeah, it, it it was genuinely genius to, and it was like it wasn't even a big. Parade, really, was it? You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like a giant thing. As far as parades with tanks, it was relatively modest. Yeah, 
but uh, yeah, but that's the thing. Uh, but it, it got the it got the Democrats attacking the concept of the U.S. itself on its birthday. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, what, they, what are you doing? Even beyond the elected Democrats, you had Nike, so corporate America, a, a good American company, coming out against a revolutionary war flag, the Betsy Ross flag, yeah. because apparently they made Colin Kaepernick their CEO. I thought he was a pitch man, but they right. made him like he's calling the shots now, and so. They are now saying the flag is offensive. And I, I said this, when they in the NFL started protesting the flag, mm -hmm. I said they're protesting America. The flag is a symbol of the country, so they're protesting the country. They said, no, we're only protesting police brutality. We're only protesting uh, whatever. And now we know that that's a lie. I mean, yes. they're, they're pro were they protesting police brutality in 1776? No. British brutality? I don't know. I mean, you, you guys have to answer well, you for that. We didn't even have police then. Right, you know, the, the police are quite a modern invention, really. So it's you know, you certainly couldn't even. It really is the the concept of America as a nation that they are against. That's and, right. and, but this is like, I think I think this has been a, a, a seed that's been gestating within the Democrats for quite some time, and it's finally finding its full bloom with the the communist revolution that's taking over their party. Uh, and I'm not I'm not even joking when I say that. It's genuinely quite worrying how uh, uh, yeah. socialism and communism are, are genuinely becoming. They're the cool, edgy thing that the left-wing kids are doing. Hello, America. Hello. The First Lady and I wish each and every one of you a happy Independence Day on this truly historic 4th of July. Today we come together as one nation with this very special salute to America. We celebrate our history, our people, and the heroes who proudly defend our flag, the brave men and women of the United States military. and distinguished leaders representing each branch of the United States Armed Forces, the Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, Marines, and very soon, the Space Force. As we gather this evening, in the joy of freedom, we remember that all share a truly extraordinary heritage, Together, we are part of one of the greatest stories ever told, the story of America. It is the epic tale of a great nation whose people have risked everything for what they know is right and what they know is true. It is the chronicle of brave citizens who never give up on the dream of a better and brighter future. And it is the saga of 13 separate colonies that united to form the most just and virtuous republic ever conceived. On this day, 243 years ago, our founding fathers pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to declare independence and defend our God-given rights. Thomas Jefferson wrote the words that forever changed the course of humanity. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. With a single sheet of parchment and 56 signatures, America began the greatest political journey in human history. But on that day, the patriots who would determine the ultimate success of the struggle were 100 miles away in New York. There, the Continental Army prepared to make its stand, commanded by the beloved General George Washington. As the delegates debated the Declaration in Philadelphia, Washington's army watched from Manhattan as a massive British invading fleet loomed dangerously across New York Harbor. The British had come to crush the revolution in its infancy. Washington's message to his troops laid bare the stakes. He wrote, the fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. We have therefore to resolve to conquer or die. <laughs> Days later, General Washington ordered the declaration read aloud to the troops. The assembled soldiers just joined an excited crowd running down Broadway. They toppled the statue of King George and melted it into bullets for battle. The faraway king would soon learn a timeless lesson about the people of this majestic land. Americans love our freedom, and no one will ever take it away from us. The short sampling of Trump's speech that we just heard pretty much framed the entire tone and content of his speech. Coincidentally, we talked about happiness on the show last week and its distinct relationship to individual freedom. But associating tanks and military might with individual freedom in America is also quite fundamental and legitimate, and I saw nothing inappropriate about it. But of course, there are always those who want to fact-check everything that Trump says. Our quest for greatness unleashed a culture of discovery that led Thomas Edison to imagine his light bulb, Alexander Graham Bell to create the telephone, the Wright brothers to look to the sky, and see the next great frontier. For Americans, nothing is impossible. You fellas haven't forgotten the big birthday celebration tomorrow. Oh, now we've been waiting anxiously. What birthday? Alexander Graham Bell's birthday. He's a very famous American. Never heard of him. He's the man who invented the telephone. He's not true. Telephone invented by Russia. Every school child knows this. American. Russian. American. Russian. American. Russian. 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 No, not Russian and not American, but Canadian. <laughs> President gets wires crossed on Bell, read the headline in the London Free Press on July 6th. Alexander Graham Bell saw Canada as site of his invention of the telephone, writes Susan Gamble, out of Brantford, Ontario. Hold the phone there, President Trump, she writes. We don't want to rain on Trump's 4th of July parade. Yeah, right. But his comments about Branford's Alexander Graham Bell cannot go unchallenged. He used Bell as an example of American ingenuity in his Independence Day speech Thursday. 
But Bell wasn't born in the U.S., and although he became an American citizen in 1882, that was after he invented the phone while living in Branford. Bell was born in Scotland in 1847 and came to Branford as a young man, moving with his parents to what is now the Bell Homestead of Tutla Heights Road. On one of those visits, Bell came up with his idea for a telephone system and began working on plans to create it. Back in Boston, Bell continued to refine his invention, filing a patent on February 14, 1876, and finally transmitting a human voice to Thomas Watson on March 10, 1876. According to Bell, he invented the phone in Brantford where he thought of it, not where he built it or received the patent. Brantford is right in claiming the invention of the telephone here. It was conceived in Brantford in 1874 and born in Boston in 1875, he said. I don't think this is much of a controversy, Bell Homestead curator Brian Wood said of the online hubbub. I just think Trump didn't check his facts. Wood said Bell never became a Canadian citizen because in those days he didn't have to, end quote. Well, i got to tell you, this article opened my eyes and made me look at the whole Bell controversy in a little different way. Think about what we just read. So because Bell conceived his theory of his telephone in Brantford, does that make it a Canadian invention? What specifically did Canada have to offer that made it possible for Bell to conceive of his idea that was not available in any other country? Even the article by Susan Gamble suggests to me that the telephone was indeed an American invention and development despite Bell's own assertion. If Bell's assertion is to be taken seriously, does that then mean that a baby conceived in Canada but born in the United States is still a Canadian? What did Canada or Canadians actually do or contribute to Bell's invention that would earn them a claim to it? But I digress. The point of my point is, was Trump inaccurate by saying what he did? And I say no. It was perfectly legitimate and justifiable. You cannot take away from the United States its concrete role regarding Bell's invention. That Trump called Bell's invention the product of a culture of discovery is completely fair and accurate. Bell invented the phone in Brantford where he thought of it, not where he built it or received the patent, wrote the writer of the article. I'm guessing that when Bell moved to the United States, his thoughts and conceptions went with him. Boy, talk about nationalism suddenly being made acceptable by those who decry nationalism. And do note that I've used the same facts as the author of this editorial to relay an entirely different narrative. Here again, Carl Benjamin and Michael Knowles from their July 6th conversation on Sargon of Akkad. You know, when someone, when someone yeah. says something or does something, like this, the, the Donald Trump thing with, um, they t you know, took over the airports, and I'm sorry, oh, Donald, all right. <laughs> you know, but charitably, look, he's an old man, he works really hard. You know, he's always doing things, he's all, you know, always doing interviews, he's constantly got a million people coming at him. Right. Yeah, you know, maybe he mistook the, you know, the whatever it is. You he know. read the prompter wrong yeah, or something. Exactly, whatever. he bumbled it, yeah, fine. But no, they, they make a massive deal out of absolute nothing. And who, it, I mean... Yeah, it's nothing. What's funny, too, is Trump is an incredibly transparent president. Yes. I mean, this is a guy who does impromptu <laughs> talks with the press <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He invites George Stephanopoulos, yeah. who's Clinton's former advisor, yeah. to come and do an interview with him in the Oval Office. Hmm. Obama didn't do those things. Barack Obama was a, a very closed-off president. Yeah. And they got very angry at Trump. Managed, wasn't it? 
very yeah. stage managed, and he wasn't good on the fly. You know, mm. Trump isn't great with the teleprompter, but he's very good ad lib. And his, Obama was the opposite. His his rallies are just—you can tell he loves it. They're amazing. He just yeah. gets up and riffs. Right. You know, what's on my mind at the moment? I'll just say, you know, and the crowd loves it. And you know this. I mean, as a content creator. To just go for like over two hours and have it be entertaining is incredibly. Difficult. It takes a skill. Yeah, you know, it's, it is a very, very well trained skill. Um, but like I said, I, I, I do like the fact that he is eager to engage with the press. You see, I mean, when he's getting off the helicopters and stuff, he'll come up to them and give them what he wants them to know. Right. And then, but it almost like he's attacking them with his narrative, and then he'll be like, no, 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 that's it, and then just wander off. That's anyway, right. He uh, he just knows. Yeah. I mean. People think of him as this mean, rude guy, which yeah. he frequently is. Yes. But what you'll notice about Trump is he rarely, if ever, starts fights. He is mm, yeah. always responding. I mean, this he's very the, reactive. Isn't he's he? very and because yeah, otherwise he puts out very positive messages. Mm -hmm. It's just constant. You know, I'm great. Everything I'm doing is great. Watch this; it's going to be brilliant. And then someone, and then he reacts in a very strident way. That's right. But you're right. He's—I mean, even he's nice to Kim Jong Un. Then yeah. Kim Jong Un says he's a, a madman. Yeah. And then Trump calls him short and fat. <laughs> <laughs> or even Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. You know, his, Trump yeah. famously had this feud with Rosie. Oh God! Yeah. And he—you have. Well, I'm sure you've seen it. The supercut on YouTube. I haven't seen it. Oh, this Sounds is amazing. Yeah, yeah. We have to like put it in here. Yeah, yeah. It, he so she went after him pretty viciously on the view. She started it right. and said he's bankrupt, he's a fraud, whatever. And he does a supercut of just hilariously awful insults about Rosie. He says she's unattractive inside and out. She's <laughs> the mind is weak, and he's just going. He is pummeling her with his words, and his he has this new, yeah. very New Yorker attitude, which yeah. is. Don't take any guff from anybody, and someone hits you, you punch him like ten times as hard. Yeah. And it served him very well. I mean, it allows mm. him to take back control of a narrative. Mm. Imagine if we had a Mitt Romney type right now as president. Oh, he, he, he wouldn't be elected. No, he wouldn't get elected. He would have been crushed. Um, but yeah, absolutely crushed. There's no good. Like, Mitt Romney would just get pilloried for being the devil of progressivism. That's and, right. And he is, like, the Satan that they're... He just attacking. looks yeah. like... that's. The, the white male patriarchal capitalist just right winger. Way here, you know, yeah, yeah, he's the yeah. I know he is imperialist hegemony in, embodied. <laughs> yes. And he, do you remember? Oh, this was one moment. I mean, I was very skeptical of Trump in the primaries mm. in 2016, and the moment that he pretty much won me over is he used the phrase "anchor baby" to refer to you know you come here as an illegal alien, you have a kid, mm -hmm. and because of our current reading of the Fourteenth Amendment, you get birth, birthright citizenship, and. So he was using this term, and a reporter said, don't you know that that term is offensive? And Trump said, okay, what would you like me to call them? He goes, well, the child of a future undocumented American dreaming, dreamer, yeah. this, and he goes on for five years. And Trump goes, you, you want me to say all that? You, I think I'm going to stick with Anchor Baby. Thank you very much. <laughs> I just thought, perfect. Yeah. This is exactly what yeah. America is thinking right now. Yeah. And he just, he reels them in, and then he just doesn't give them an inch. Yeah. Yeah, Michelle Center with PBS NewsHour. Um, on the campaign trail, you called yourself a nationalist. Some people saw that as emboldening white nationalists. Now people are also saying that the president. I don't know why you'd that say that. It's such a racist there question. There are some people that say that no. now the Republican Party is seen as supporting white nationalists oh, because of your rhetoric. What do you make that. of that? I don't believe it. I just, well, I don't know. Why do I have my highest poll numbers ever with African Americans? Why do I have among the highest poll numbers with African Americans? 
I mean, why do I have my highest poll numbers? That's such a racist question. Honestly, I mean, I know you have it written down and you're going to tell me. Let me tell you, that's a racist question. And Mr. Uh, President, I, I love ask- it. You know what the word is? I love our country. I do. You call, you have nationalists, you have globalists. I also love the world. And I don't mind helping the world, but we have to straighten out our country first. We have a lot of problems. And Ms. Excuse me. But to say that, what you said, is so insulting to me. It's a very terrible thing that you said. And Mr. Okay, President, please, Mr. President, people have, t- you, you, talked about, you, talked about middle, you talked about middle class tax cuts on the campaign trail. How will you get Democrats to support that policy? Or you have to ask that? them. Well, hey, what's, your, what's your plan no, no, for working me. with Democrats you know how, on a middle class is? tax plan? You know what my plan is? I'll ask them. And if they say yes, I'm all for it. And if they say no, there's nothing you can do because you need their votes. Go ahead. I think we better pass on that one. I bought a designer suit of armor from Calvin Klang. <laughs> For $200, housed at the Tower of London until 1996, the world's largest suit of armor was worn by what animal? Ben. Elephant. Elephant, yes, sir. They had this special where Rosie O'Donnell tried it on, but it was a little too snug for her. But she liked it because it was kind of manly. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever Marla Maples plays bridge, she bids no trump. And run. I'll take, whenever Marla Maples plays bridge, she bids no trump. $150 query. In October 1999, Donald Trump announced he would be changing his political affiliation to what party? Ron. Reform Party. Very nice, Ron. Very nice. Very nice, Ron. $50 follow-up. To what political party did Donald Trump belong immediately before he switched to the Reform Party? Democratic Party. No. Tim. Republican. Very good. Bear in mind that what you just heard was aired on the television game show Win Ben Stein's Money, a show that aired over a decade before Trump ever entered the political field. And while you're at it, bear in mind that you are currently listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Now, last month, Trump was in Japan to attend the G20 summit, and I ran across these interesting articles from the National Post. The first one with the headline, Trump Makes Light of Election Interference. And this was on June 29th by David Nakamura, Seung Min Kim, and Damian Paletta out of Osaka, Japan. Quote, U.S. President Donald Trump on Friday appeared to make light of Russian election interference, telling President Vladimir Putin with a grin during a bilateral meeting, don't meddle in the election, after reporters shouted questions about the topic. Trump met with Putin on the sidelines of the G20 summit, but he did not initially raise the topic during brief remarks in front of reporters, calling their relationship very, very good. He said the two would discuss trade, including some disarmament, some little protectionism perhaps, in a very positive way. Putin noted that the two had not met since their first formal summit in Helsinki last summer and said the conversation in Osaka would be, quote, a great opportunity to follow up on that, end quote. At that point, American reporters in the room, and note note this is American reporters, began shouting questions about whether Trump would warn Putin not to meddle in future U.S. elections. Yes, of course I will, Trump replied. And as reporters were being ushered out 
and still shouting questions, a grinning Trump said, Don't meddle in the election. Raising his right index finger towards Putin, Trump repeated himself while turning to watch the reporters depart. When reporters first entered the room, Trump and Putin could be seen smiling as they discussed their mutual dislike of the news media. Get rid of them. Fake news is a great term, isn't it? You don't have this problem in Russia, but we do, Trump said, according to Reuters. We also have. It's the same, a smiling Putin responded in English. Under Putin's government, press freedoms have been greatly curtailed. Trump and Putin met for 90 minutes, mostly without any journalists present, end quote. Now, in that same day's paper, June 29th, the National Post ran an editorial cartoon with two panels, each depicting Trump and Putin sitting across from each other. In the first panel, Trump says to Putin, Don't meddle in the elections, Vladimir. And Putin responds, Ha ha ha, okay. In the second panel, Trump says, I'm just kidding, meddle. And Putin responds, Ha ha ha, okay. <laughs> All this follows two earlier National Post stories, dated June 14 and 15 respectively, with the first headline reading, I'd listen to dirt on rival, colon Trump, and second heading reading, Trump retreats on foreign campaign help. And (laughs) this is really something. And this is from the first of those two articles. Democratic lawmakers accused President Donald Trump on Thursday of giving Russia the green light to interfere in the 2020 U.S. presidential race, while a top Republican ally said Trump was wrong to say he would accept political dirt from foreign sources. The uproar followed televised comments in which the U.S. president told ABC News he would be willing to listen to such damaging information about political opponents as he seeks re-election. I think you might want to listen. There isn't anything wrong with listening, Trump said in an interview aired Wednesday. It's not an interference. They have information. I think I'd take it. If I thought there was something wrong, I'd go maybe to the FBI, if I thought there was something wrong. Trump's comments came less than three months after special counsel Robert Mueller submitted a report that found Russia waged a hacking and influence campaign to help Trump defeat Democrat Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential election. What the president said last night shows clearly, once again, that he does not know the difference between right and wrong, said U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the top Democrat in Congress. There is no sense, any ethical sense, that informs his comments and his thinking. Trump defended his comments on Thursday. Now, that was from the first article. Here's the second article, the one with the headline, Trump Retreats on Foreign Campaign Help. Quote, President Donald Trump on Friday appeared to backtrack somewhat on accepting campaign help from Russia or other foreign governments without necessarily telling the FBI, saying he would certainly inform law enforcement authorities if he were approached. Trump shifted by saying that while he would still look at incriminating information provided by a hostile foreign power about an election opponent, he would absolutely report such an encounter. He shot back angrily, however, at Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who said Thursday that the president's willingness to take foreign help to win an election demonstrated he does not know right from wrong and that he's been involved in a criminal cover-up, end quote. And that was from Post Media News. Now, both of these reports, in the National Post, no less, are perfect examples of completely unbalanced news reporting. Does that make them fake news? I mean, the first article ended with the sentence, Trump defended his comments on Thursday. But it didn't report anything about what Trump actually said. 
And the second article ends by reporting that Trump, quote, shot back angrily, however, at Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But it did not report what Trump actually said. Is it any wonder that so many people become negatively predisposed to Donald Trump's presidency? When I read articles like this, I feel as if someone had just told a joke but didn't bother to deliver the punchline. Surely Trump's responses are more important than the unsubstantiated accusations being made against him, both in helping us assess the truth of the accusation and in helping us evaluate the president himself. Shame on the National Post for even printing these articles. But more to the point, any leader of any nation who would not consider seriously listening to damaging information about political opponents, whether before, during, or after an election, would be an irresponsible leader, if you ask me. Each of the news items in this regard have referred to such information as, quote, campaign help from Russia or other foreign governments, end quote, which would include Canada or Britain, by the way. These articles have so much spin in them, I'm getting dizzy. If I thought there was something wrong, I'd go maybe to the FBI. If I thought there was something wrong, Trump was quoted as saying in the first article. While the second suggests that Trump appeared to backtrack somewhat on accepting campaign help, when this is completely false. Trump did not, quote, backtrack on accepting campaign help. Campaign help wasn't even the subject. Trump was not talking about campaign help. After all, accurate information, whatever the source, is always of value, irrespective of whether or not you're engaged in a campaign. And from the Democratic and leftist point of view, let us never forget, political campaigns are perpetual, as their reactions to Trump's 4th of July speech more than aptly demonstrated. And while we're considering the merits of Russian election intervention, here's an item I found that was not about Trump but about Putin, but which could easily be associated with Trump. This is from a June 28th article originating from Reuters and published in the National Post with the heading, Liberal Values Are Obsolete, Putin Says. Now, since I regard among liberal values things like individual freedom, freedom of speech, and many of the values upon which Western culture is based, my first reaction to the headline was negative, and my negativity was directed at Putin until I read the content of the article. And here it is, out of Moscow, quote, Russian President Vladimir Putin claims liberal values are obsolete because they have been rejected by the majority of the people in Western nations. Putin told the Financial Times newspaper that German Chancellor Angela Merkel had made a cardinal mistake by adopting a liberal policy towards immigration from the Middle East. The liberal idea presupposes that nothing needs to be done, he said. The migrants can kill, plunder, and rape with impunity because their rights as migrants must be protected. What rights are these? Every crime must have its punishment, Putin said in an interview. So the liberal idea has become obsolete. It has come into conflict with the interests of the overwhelming majority of the population, he said. Putin said Russia is not homophobic, but that a Western willingness to embrace homosexuality and gender fluidity seemed excessive to him. Traditional values are more stable and more important for millions of people than this liberal idea, which in my opinion is really ceasing to exist. In the wide-ranging interview, Putin also said there was a danger of a new nuclear arms race because of America pulling out of key arms control treaties. Putin said he was willing to work with the U.S. on arms control so the situation wouldn't become aggravated. End quote. 
Wow. So Putin wasn't really talking about liberal values in the original sense of that term. He was criticizing the leftist agenda of politicians like those in the American Democratic Party or like those of Justin Trudeau here in Canada. No wonder both groups, America's Democrats and Canada's liberals, are so preoccupied with Russian meddling in American and Canadian elections. And speaking of Russian collusion with the Trump campaign, up next is a brief excerpt from one of those many helicopter meetings on the lawn of the White House referred to earlier by Carl Benjamin and Michael Knowles as an example of this president's transparency and openness. Now, this particular exchange took place on May 30th, shortly following Robert Mueller's disgusting and unnecessary public statement about the Russia investigation. If you recall, this was his announcement that they could find no evidence suggesting collusion between Trump and the Russians, but at the same time said that this did not exonerate the president. Quote, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so, end quote. Well, if I had confidence that Mueller did not commit a crime, I'd say so too. I think things are going very well. The economy is doing fantastically well. Uh, beyond any expectation, unemployment numbers are just about the best in the history of our country. Employment numbers are the best. We have close to 160 million people working today, which is more than we've ever had before. Any questions? Well, I think it was the same as the report. There wasn't much change. Uh, it was, to me, the same as the report. And there's no obstruction. You see what we're saying. There's no obstruction. There's no collusion. There's no nothing. It's nothing but a witch hunt. This is a witch hunt by the media and the Democrats, their partners. And it keeps going. Uh, I thought it was finished when the report was released. But it goes on. And it, to me, it was the same, frankly, as the report. And he said, basically, it was the same as the report. I think he's totally conflicted because, as you know, he wanted to be the FBI director, and I said no. As you know, I had a business dispute with him after he left the FBI. We had a business dispute. Uh, not a nice one. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't happy with what I did, and I don't blame him, but I had to do it because that was the right thing to do. But I had a business dispute, and he loves Comey. Uh, you look at the relationship that those two, so whether it's love or a deep like, but he should, he was conflicted. Look, Robert Mueller should have never been chosen because he wanted the FBI job and he didn't get it. And the next day he was picked as special counsel. So you tell somebody, I'm sorry, you can't have the job. And then after you say that, he's going to make a ruling on you. It doesn't work that way. Plus, we had a business dispute, plus his relationship with Comey was extraordinary. Now, one other thing I'll say. Why didn't he investigate Strook and Page and McCabe and Comey and all the lies and Brennan and the lies and Clapper and the lies to Congress and all of the things that happened to start this investigation? Why didn't Comey come clean? Why didn't Comey come clean and say the things that he knows are facts? Why didn't Mueller investigate Comey, his best friend or his very good friend? And there's so many other things. Here's a question. This is a study of Russia. Why didn't they invest the insurance policy? In other words, 
Should Hillary Clinton lose, we've got an insurance policy. Guess what? What we're in right now is the insurance policy. I think he is a total conflicted person. I think Mueller is a true never-Trumper. He's somebody that dislikes Donald Trump. He's somebody that didn't get a job that he requested that he wanted very badly, and then he was appointed. And despite that, and despite $40 million, 18 Trump haters, including people that work for Hillary Clinton and some of the worst human beings on earth, they got nothing. It's pretty amazing. No, Russia did not help me get elected. You know who got me elected? You know who got me elected? I got me elected. What you ought to ask is this. Do you think the media helped Hillary Clinton get elected? She didn't make it. But you take a look at collusion between Hillary Clinton and the media. You take a look at collusion between Hillary Clinton and Russia. She had more to do in the campaign with Russia than I did. I had nothing to do. And by the way, that's one other thing. If you look, this was all about Russia, Russia, Russia. They don't talk about Russia anymore because it turned out to be a hoax. It was all a hoax. And then they say, gee, he fought back. Isn't that terrible? He fought back. Of course I fight back because it was a false accusation, a totally false accusation. And it's a disgrace. And it's, it's a very sad period for this country. And I think in the end, I will consider what's happening now to be one of my greatest achievements, exposing this corruption. Come. I think we're doing very well with China. Come here, I want to shake your hand. Come here. You've treated me fairly. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, wait. I want to ask a real reporter's question. We're going to, we're going to answer a real reporter's question, okay? China would love to make a deal with us. We had a deal, and they broke the deal. I think if they had it to do again, they wouldn't have done what they did. We're taking in billions of dollars in tariffs. China is subsidizing products. So the United States taxpayer is paying for very little of it. And if you look at inflation, and if you look at pricing, it's gone up very little. The tariffs are having a devastating effect on China. People are fleeing the country with their companies. These companies are leaving for Vietnam, other parts of Asia, and they're even coming to the United States because then there's no tariff. I think we're doing very well with China. We'll see what happens. But I can tell you, China very much wants to make a deal because the companies are leaving China to avoid the tariff. China is becoming a very weakened nation, just as Iran has become a very weakened nation. And Iran wants to make a deal also. Um, his foreign policy has been remarkably decent, and it's, you know it's it, it's not just a coincidence. This must be something he's doing on purpose. So you've got like the Syria strike mm -hmm. on the airfield. That was actually a, a stroke of genius because it, once it silenced all of his critics, right. and he, there was no particular trouble. Then you've got the North Korea thing. Trump's just giving him hell on Twitter, and now he's walking across the border. Right. And then you've got the Iran thing. So right, okay, there's been tag right. 
a drone's been shot down and Trump comes out and says, you know what, I, I heard there was going to be 150 deaths so I called it off. I didn't think it was proportionate. That makes him look like a humanitarian. Right. That makes him look like, you know, a, a, a strong, capable leader because he's about to do something. But then he's like, you know what, it's not worth it. Human life is more important. That's amazing. He just keeps having these successes. And at the end of it, like, people are going, I mean, like, it, it looks to me like the left are like, look, we're going to save the world. Yeah, yeah that's that, the, the messianic, we're going to save the world and we will bleed our country dry to do it. But obviously, you're going to lose what you have and fail your mission. And Trump is the polar opposite of that, isn't it? We're going to become amazing, and the world will become better by proxy. Right. Yeah, just that our, our net impact on the world from us being good will be good for the rest of the world. You know, ironically, and it's a much more sensible po po policy. The, the two most peaceful presidents that we've had in recent memory are Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. They're mm. the two people who they said were cowboys. They're, they wanted yeah. to build up the military. But what they understood, both of those men, mm. is that you achieve peace through strength. Yes. You need to have the credible threat of violence. You need to be totally prepared for war. Yep. And ironically, the more prepared you are for war, the less likely you are going to need to engage in a war. Well, weakness is provocation. Right. Weakness, weakness invites, is provocation. It invites someone to see you and say, I think I can. Right, you know, but like I say, I mean, Donald Trump's built the military quite significantly, hasn't he? Yeah. So there's no point. What are you going to do? But, and I mean, yeah. this is why it's so smart for Trump to have these different advisors around yeah, him. Yeah, it's yeah. why it's smart yeah. for Trump to say crazy things every now and yes, again. Yes. Is you could predict, mm. like quite well, what George Bush would do in yeah. realms of foreign policy. You could predict quite well what Barack Obama would do. You you actually can't predict what Trump is yeah, going to yeah, do, yeah. and that's probably his greatest foreign policy asset. Yeah. We're supposed to believe that just coincidentally, just accidentally, mm. the guy succeeded in real estate. Yep. He succeeded in casinos. Yep. Even though the casinos went bust, he succeeded. Uh, he well, succeeded. That, that, that happens, you know, businesses go up and down. Right. Yeah. He succeeded in network television, top of it for 14 years. He succeeded in politics, got the highest office in the world on his first <laughs> try. Accidentally. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I know, right? It's like the, the coincidence is just stacking It's amazing. Up, you know. <laughs> yeah, just accidentally. I have to say that I was most impressed when Trump, during that exchange on the lawn of the White House, approached one of the reporters to shake his hand and thank him for treating him fairly, something you'd never see from any other politician. And notice that Trump didn't thank him for giving him good or positive coverage, but simply fair coverage. Good for him. Trump is possibly the most hardworking, focused, and accomplished U.S. president in history. In his first two years in office, he has already accomplished more positive results than most presidents managed to do even after two terms in office. The problem is that most people never hear the good, or at least the accurate, news about Trump because most North American media is by and large so biased and thus corrupt itself that it can no longer separate its biases from what it reports as news. But that's not the case with the newspaper I've recommended before, and that's the Epoch Times whose reporting over the years has, in my experience, borne out with the facts and is one of the sources I consider to be reliable, especially in its reporting of the American political scene. And here's just a sampling of headlines from my copies of the Canadian print version of the Epoch Times that relate to some of the topics we've discussed today. This one from April 25th. Mueller report shatters credibility of Clinton campaign-funded steel dossier. Analysis of Steele dossier shows that Mueller report offers no evidence for all 103 claims damaging to Trump and his associates. Or this one from May 16. Obama White House knew about Clinton emails but covered it up, Watchdog alleges. 
and this one from May 2nd by Brad Johnson, The Mueller Investigation and the Chinese. And I've got a quote from this one. This is interesting. Quote, From my perspective as a career CIA operations officer, and that's the writer Brad Johnson talking, the Mueller investigation is amazingly revealing in ways that it was never intended to be. Release of the Mueller report appears to strongly support Trump's position, not only since Mueller determined that no collusion with the Russians took place, but because evidence suggests that he and the FBI and the Department of Justice leadership were aware of this fact at least 18 months before the investigation's conclusion, but continued it anyway. The most likely explanation for continuing a legal investigation where no legal justification exists was a political desire to do so. Mueller and the FBI and DOJ leadership were philosophically opposed to Trump, just like the rest of the so-called resist movement. Many here in the United States have argued that the resist movement is not real, but there is direct evidence to the contrary. For example, in 2018, we saw a young woman named Reality Winner, <laughs> get that, badly damage her life by purposely leaking a classified document to the press only because she believed it would damage Trump. She is still in jail, serving out her five-year and three-month sentence. In March, Defense Intelligence Agency Officer Ron Hansen was convicted of spying for the Chinese over a long period of time. His sentence will be handed down in September, where he's expected to receive a relatively light sentence of 15 years in exchange for his cooperation with U.S. authorities. His initial motivation for spying against the United States appears to have been money. During the investigation, however, a number of Hansen's conversations were captured and transcribed, revealing that he hated Trump, was deeply committed to the resist philosophy, and viewed working against Trump as his duty, end quote. And on and on goes the horror story. April 18, how Obama officials spied on Trump. April 11, the attempted coup against Trump. April 25th, what was Obama's role in the Trump investigations? And turning to other topics besides the Mueller investigation, check out these headlines also from the Epoch Times. Beijing aims to vanquish capitalism with socialism, but what's really at stake from the June 6th edition? Socialism is the biggest risk to U.S. economy, White House advisor warns on April 4th. From June 13, Trump says tariffs are a great negotiating tool as further U.S. tariffs loom for China. So, I'm looking forward to a second term with Donald Trump in the White House, leading a country that promotes a culture of discovery, risk-taking, and which protects the individual freedom that makes it all possible. And of course, I hope that you're looking forward to joining us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. I had the pleasure of growing up in America before the lawyers took it over and ruined it on us. And yeah. In my day, if a kid fell off the monkey bars and chipped a bone in his arm, that was tragic, but it was funny to the rest of us. You know? <laughs> certainly wasn't reasons to take the monkey bars off the playgrounds. We all did dumb things. That's how you learn not to do dumb things. C.S. <laughs> Lewis said suffering was God's megaphone. That's right. You do dumb things, it hurts, and then you learn not to do it. But we're the most painted verses. I, and we, I'll give you an example. When I was 12, someone told me to get a ball jar, a canning jar. Find some dry ice, put it in the jar, put the lid on it. So I said, what's going to happen? They said, it's going to blow up. And I said, cool. 
where do I get dry ice at? And they said, the ice cream man. So one day I heard the ice cream man coming down my street. I run out with one of my mother's canning jars, and I ask, you got any dry ice? He says, what you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to put it in this jar. I'm going to put the lid on it, and it's going to explode. Ice cream man says, oh, here's your dry ice. That's the America I grew up in. Yeah.